you know, if religion has already been a part of your child's life up until that point, um, then naturally you're going to incorporate you're going to incorporate your religious beliefs and ideas into the discussion on death. Uh, but conversely, if up until that point you have not really talked anything religion with your kids, uh, at that point being like, ah, there's an easy out. I'm just going to now start being like, you know what? The thing with death is you die and you go to heaven. You go to another stage that's better than anything on earth, so let, don't even worry about it. That might actually be problematic. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, what's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. Right, Dr. Harmon, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. How are you doing over there? I'm great. I'm great. I'm ready to talk about the lighter side of death and dying in the context of children. Yeah, I don't know why we came up with this topic a few months ago when we were planning our season. But uh, before we dive into it, uh, here's some lighter fare. Remember last week you were talking about we were talking about cars and like you know ways to optimize the driving experience as a parent. Yeah. So I, you you were talking about how every child should have their own waste basket, right? So I was I was I went upstairs after the recording. I told my wife and my kids, I'm like, Uncle Stu has a great idea. We're gonna keep the car really clean. Everyone gets their own waste basket <laughs> in the car, right? Nice. And honestly, you know you know in the life of the dad, most of the things you say in the house just are way over everyone's head. You know, right. you say something and it just disappears <laughs> into the ether. Well, this time I said this comment about about the um wastebasket a couple of days later we're getting ready to get into the car to go out right uh-huh. suddenly my daughter you know instead of bring you know she always brings a toy you know, you know yeah. she always has to have like a, a stuffy or something she's getting into the car this time she's got like a little plastic container because i've been recycling a lot so she's got like a little plastic r- container that used to hold cherry tomatoes but uh-huh. inside it there's like 20 l- little toys and various items and i'm looking at her, i'm like we're only going for a two minute drive. Like, what do you need all this stuff for? She's like, yeah. Uncle Stu said we can bring a play basket into the car. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, play basket, it's a waste basket. This is for garbage. <laughs> play basket. Oh. oh, that's awesome. Yeah, imagine so disappointment <laughs> when I had to break the news to her about that one. For two days, she thought Uncle Stu was the wisest man on the planet. <laughs> And then she she realized he's just another one of these neat freak dads out there. <laughs> right. Wait a minute. This is all about about cleaning up? What? This is outrageous. Yeah, so that didn't happen. We haven't made any progress whatsoever with the car being clean. Oh, no. I thought you were going to say the wastebasket went so well that you've also up, up the ante, and now every child has their own... A box for uh, paper recycling, a box for metal recycling, no. and a compost bin. <laughs> no, just more toys I had to fish out of the back seat. <laughs> oh, so let, let's talk, a l- let's get into our topic for today and see, see where we end up, because this one could go in any number of directions. So we wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, a different aspect of parenting that a lot of parents run into at some point, and that's this whole 
you know, the whole death and grieving process. Right? Yeah. And it's a difficult topic to talk about. It's a difficult topic for us to talk about with our children. It's a difficult topic for children to reflect back to us, right? And even yeah. a difficult topic for parents to talk to each other about a lot of the time, right? Like death, death is one of these topics that most people don't really want to bring it up. You know, there aren't that many topics yeah. that are like that where like one person's like, hey, let's, let's sit down and make our will. And then the other person's like, okay, let's do that next week, right? <laughs> and next week becomes three months from now, right? It's not a pleasant thing. No one really wants to deal with it. Yet yeah. it is there and it appears in all of our lives and in various forms at various times. And is, there's a certain inevitability about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, you're talking about something that's more or less inherently sad. Yeah. Right. And like you said, adults, even without kids, don't really love to dwell on dying or talk mm -hmm. about being dead and all the things that go with it very much. And if they do, then you usually consider them to have some kind of disorder. Right. Mm -hmm. If you had an adult who was comfortable talking about death nonstop, you'd, you'd probably think they need help or something. Mm -hmm. And of course, you don't want to really bring that up with your kids for the same reasons. You know, you're worried, oh, if I start talking about this, are they going to be thinking about it all the time? Are they going to be scared? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't help that we don't actually have a lot of the answers to the questions that they might ask about, about mm -hmm. death and death. I was thinking about this whole concept of like how to introduce the topic and thinking about, you know, death as part of like my own experience of life. I remember as a child being a child who was very afraid of death. Like, you know how you were talking about like, you know, if your parents bring it up, you might start thinking about it. Yeah. I did. It wasn't like I dwelled on thinking about death all the time. Uh -huh. But if I did start thinking about it, it would be enough to keep me up at night. Like, I wouldn't be able to fall asleep and thinking about, oh, what if something happens? Yeah. And I remember this happening up until like fairly late, like even later when I was in elementary school uh -huh. kind of age. Right. So in some ways contributing to me being a bit of a nervous <laughs> kid, like these things are always kind of hovering around. Right. Yeah. I didn't. And my parents as Asian parents kind of shielded me away from the reality of death. Right. Yeah. I, th I think a lot of parents actually do this. But, you know, they didn't talk about it too often. If anyone passed away and there was a funeral, I never had to attend. Like, the parents would go and put in the time, but the kids would stay home. And they always had some reason for it. It was always like, children shouldn't go to these events. You know, it's bad luck. Like, there's yeah. all these Chinese superstitions about, about funerals and, you know, what, what it portends if you show up and then you do something wrong at a funeral, right? You could curse yourself for decades <laughs> or something. You break a mirror or something? There are a lot of mirrors. <laughs> it, uh... That type of thing, right? So I didn't really have any experience with it. It wasn't until I was in high school. My last year of high school, my grandfather passed away in Hong Kong. Uh, uh, sorry, in Taiwan. Yeah. And so my dad and I flew back to attend, you know, the, his, his burial and it was it was an eye-opening experience i'd never seen anything like it and then plus it was a buddhist ceremony on top of everything else yeah and it w and then my dad had a younger brother who had passed away years before so we hadn't we hadn't gone to see his remains so as part of that trip we also went to the temple where they had kept his ashes yeah so all of these things it was it was strange like I, d I i was almost like i don't know 15 or 16 years old at that point i think yeah and dealing with these things for, for real for the first time in my life was ki quite something yeah so you know i think it is a good thing for us to talk about i, I don't i don't really know what we can do to help people with it but you know maybe talking about it will help yeah it's, it's because death is inevitable right 
that it's something that's like, ah, oh, you, you really do kind of have to talk uh, to your kids about it or mm-hmm. people in general have to talk about it. Because if it wasn't something that was going to happen that we we're all going to have to face, then no one would want to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for the fact that eventually your kid's going to have to deal with it one way or another, then you'd just be like, yeah, well, let's just never, ever talk about that because that's just too depressing. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, sooner or later, uh, the kids are going to probably have to deal with the fact of a grandparent passing away. And, uh, you know, if we just put it off until the day it happens, then you may find yourself in a bit of a challenge where it would have been easier to at least broach the topic and subject with your kids before they had to do it and it was real and there's all the emotion associated with it in the moment. Mm -hmm. I think I was probably about five or so when, uh, maybe a little, maybe six, when my uh, grandfather died, my grandfather in Jamaica, so my mother's father. Um, So I... I didn't go to the funeral or anything. I remember that my mother had to go to the funeral and that my dad looked after us for a week. So something about dying made me think that when someone dies, you eat tin spaghetti and Chef Boyardee and don't have a real meal for, for about seven days. But I, what, I, what I remember most distinctly was that when my mom was coming back, we had this idea that you know her grandfa- or our grandfather's gone, but we didn't really know him that well. But presumably our mother knew this man very well. And so she was going to be sad when she came back. So we had made a banner for her for when she came back, where it was something like, you know, welcome home, mummy, or something like that. And each of us was coloring and drawing a picture for, for one letter that we would hang up in a string. And I remember clearly, I think my o- oldest or middle sister saying, you know, because she's going to be sad and someone died, you can use any color you want to color except black, because black will make her sad. So you have to somehow mm-hmm. draw a picture without any black in it. I remember like stressing about this. I'm like, ah, oh, I, I really want to draw a sun wearing sunglasses. But sunglasses are supposed to be black. How am I gonna How am I gonna make this work? That's that's the earliest memory recollection I have of 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 death and dying. And I I think it actually was not a bad thing for me uh, to have been able to process the idea of somebody dying without it yet being somebody who's close to me, where I'm the one who's sad. I think it was a nice learning experience to understand someone is going to be sad because someone died. That's normal. Mm -hmm. And here's what we do. Where do we even start with this topic? Like there's so many different ways we could go. I had some ideas. Okay. We could chat a little bit about, you know, this whole business of talking to our children about death because that's not a straightforward conversation by any means. And it can vary depending on your child's age, like how to talk to them about it. Yes. Absolutely. Well, why don't we dive right into that then? Because mm-hmm. like you said, children developmentally, their brains process information in very different ways as they, as they get older. So mm-hmm. when they're very young, you know, if you're talking to a three-year-old about death, chances are they're going to still process it or think about it as something that like, okay, it happens, but it maybe wears off or is reversible. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, like the episode of Sesame Street where they tell Big Bird that Mr. Hooper died. And it, mm-hmm. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Well, I actually remember that this happened, <laughs> but I don't remember the episode in detail. <laughs> it was a very big deal in the time. This is in the early 80s, probably around 1982, 83, where the, the character of Mr. Hooper on Sesame Street, the actor who played that character died. And the writers of the show had to figure out what they were going to do. And they, you know, we could just write him out of the show. Mr. Hooper goes on some trip and you never see him again. Uh, or you could have another actor play him. And then they decided that, you know, this would probably be a good idea to, to deal with the topic of death and dying. 
And so, uh, so they had Mr. They had it that on the show, Mr. Hooper has also died. Uh, I mean, they didn't show it. That would have made for a very different type of show if they actually had a, had a death scene for Mr. Hooper. But what I remember is Big Bird ha- having drawn a picture, and he's saying like, "Hey, everybody, I drew a picture for Mr. Hooper. Uh, I can't wait to give it to him." And they're saying like, "Oh, oh sorry, Big Bird. You see, uh, well, well, Mr. Hooper's died." And Big Bird's saying, "Oh, that's okay. I'll I'll give him the picture when he comes back." And then having to really get through to him, well, no, Big Bird, uh, he, he doesn't really come back. So, you know, at a certain developmental age, that's likely how kids are going to understand death when you're trying to explain it as, uh, as, as not really getting at that, like, well, everything stops for that person and that person is completely gone. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, as kids get a bit older and, and grow past that stage, uh, they start to understand the idea that, you know, no one really comes back from death and that when people die, it's supposed to be permanent, uh, but are still prone to thinking about death as, but it might not happen to me. <laughs> and I actually remember that from when I was a kid. I remember my mom specifically telling me, you know, that's one thing is everybody, everybody dies and everybody has died or everyone who's lived has eventually died. So we all die right. someday, but it's not happening anytime soon. And I think that was her thing to make me not now sit up at night, every night wondering about or worrying about dying was the idea that, you know, it's a thing that happens, but it's not happened to any of us anytime soon. You know, that's not for a long time. And I remember me in my bed thinking like, yeah, nobody's ever not died before, but, but I could be the first, like I might be the first person to never die. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to worry about this. Cause I'm pretty sure I'm going to be the first person to live forever. Well, it gets into this whole other issue of like how we, how our minds think about our own mortality, right? Like yeah. most of us probably have, I, when you say that, that actually rings a bell. Like I remember thinking along those lines as a, as a young person too, where I was like, it's so far off in the horizon, right? Yeah. That you can even trick yourself into thinking that it's never going to happen, right? Yeah. As you get older, that doesn't work so well <laughs> anymore, <laughs> right? I think for all, I think even as adults, we kind of have it still, it's on the horizon, right? It's still maybe over the horizon where we think, yes, eventually we're going to die. But Mm. I still, I think even as adults in our day-to-day life, we have a tendency to sort of think like, you know, maybe, maybe not, or maybe not for (laughs) for so long that I don't have to think about it. So I think there's a, a stage that we'll all eventually have to go through where where dying actually starts to feel like, oh, you know what? This is like the process has started. This is going to be happening, you know, any day now or, or like it could happen at any time. And then uh, I don't even know how people deal with that when the time comes. Well, I think I think religion actually plays a big role in this. You know, I think people who have a strong faith, they are better able to deal with some of these questions because if it seems like without that, the way that you would try to answer these questions ultimately is like in some, especially as you get older, is some weird like philosophical argument, right? That has no solution, right? You're always left with that. Well, then ultimately there is no meaning to anything. And that can be a very dangerous place to put a person who's not sure about stuff in, right? That's what keeps you up at night because you're really not sure what's going to happen next. I was reading a little bit about, uh, talking to kids about uh, dying and they touched on religion and where mm. that should factor in. And their general advice is, uh, you know, if religion has already been a part of your child's life up until that point, um, then naturally you're going to incorporate, you're going to incorporate your religious beliefs and ideas into the discussion on death. 
but conversely, if up until that point you have not really talked anything religion with your kids, <laughs> uh, at that point being like, ah, there's an easy out. I'm just going to now start being like, you know what? The thing with death is you die and you go to heaven. <laughs> you go to another stage that's better than anything on earth, so let, don't even worry about it. That might actually be problematic. Um, because yeah. you, you know your kid's going to process that really in an unusual way if they have never heard about religion or talked about it before that. I mean, most aspects of speaking with children about complicated topics, or you know, most aspects of how to communicate with anyone, does have to do with authenticity, right? Yeah. People can smell a rat a while, <laughs> can smell a liar like a mile away, right? Yeah. And even a, a child will figure it out pretty easily. You can't pull the wool over them that consistently. I remember when I, so apparently my mother has told this story from time to time that, uh, you know, when we were kids, we learned at home, but also through going to Sunday school and whatnot, that when you die, you do go to heaven and that heaven is like, heaven's better than being alive, right? Heaven is amazing. Mm. And, uh, my, apparently my younger brother, uh, really bought into this idea to the point where my mother's, you know, trying to cross the street and saying to him like, you know, hurry up, we got to go or you're going to get hit by a car. And he's saying, like, it doesn't matter. If I get hit by a car, I just got to go to heaven and everything will be even better than it is here. <laughs> and I guess he said that a few times uh, in different ways until my mother had to say to him, well, look, yes, uh, when you die, you're supposed to go to heaven. But nobody's ever come back to tell us that, it's, that, that we know that for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, we think you're going to go to heaven, but nobody knows for sure. <laughs> oh, man. So one thing that's come up you know, with me, with in some of my patient situations, and I've heard this from, you know, patients where, you know, someone in their family has passed away, and now the child, you know, obviously is grieving, you know, it, often it's like their parent or a sibling, yeah. but they don't want to talk about it, right? The parents, uh, this happens when they're a little bit older, probably, like in the teens, yeah. right? Teens in general don't want to talk about anything with their parents anyway, yeah. right? Then some big shocking event happens and they obviously don't want to talk about it head on, Yeah. right? So when when we hear that as physicians, we're like, well, obviously it would be better to talk about it, right? In general, talking is a good thing, right? That's why we're doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah. But but what how do you process that as a parent or as a you know, as a family member when a child kind of clams up in the face of this kind of situation? So the question is, if you're talking to your child about death and then they, they start to get real quiet, how do you approach or it? Or they just don't want to talk about it, right? Like, it's been a few weeks, they're very quiet, you're, they're clearly affected by it, but they have nothing to say. Okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess we're talking about how do you talk about like how somebody is feeling about death during the in the moment when they're actually grieving or, or experiencing death. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I think it's some of the tips I would give people in that context are, you know, share what you're feeling and what you're thinking, right? Oftentimes people and kids are no different are maybe a bit afraid to speak up because they don't know how what they're going to say is going to be perceived. Uh, and so, you know, hearing what you're feeling or what you're thinking uh, can help normalize what they're thinking. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, that can be helpful. Um, the other thing I would maybe recommend is not forcing the issue to say like, look, you have to talk to me now. You have to tell me what's on your mind right now. But, you know, giving them constant opportunities that they can talk so that when they're ready, you know, th then they're able to. And even mm -hmm. telling them, you know, uh, when, when you want to talk about this, you know, most people are going to want to talk about what they're feeling. But I would uh, understand if you don't feel like talking about it right now. But when you're ready to talk about it, uh, you know, I'm, 
I'm here to talk about it. And it would be helpful for me as well as for you. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are some of the things that I would maybe recommend. When, do, when should a parent be thinking about, you know, do I need extra help, right? Like most of us will try to go through, have these conversations with our children or our family members when they're going through difficult stuff. Yeah. But at some point we might look at it and be like, you know what, we're like in over our head. You know, wh- when should we turn to a professional? Yeah, it's that question of when does, when does what are normal feelings and normal reactions become abnormal? You know, mm-hmm. when, does, when does the person's grief become so much that you say, well, now you, now you should be over it, or now you should be, you know. Yeah. So uh, instead of falling into that trap, maybe the way I'd look at it is, is, are you starting to see things that make you think that the behavior is really impacting the por- person's ability to function normally? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one thing if somebody doesn't want to talk and you've given them you know, a week or given them two weeks, but... And, you know, maybe the person never seems to really ever open up and want to talk. But if you're starting to find that, you know, the person doesn't want to talk, but at the same time, the person's mood still seems to be down uh, or the person seems to be losing interest in the things that they enjoy doing uh, or the person saying things that make you think they're having, um, you know, unusual thoughts or bizarre thoughts or uh, the person's irritable. If you're seeing all those sorts of things or in the context of looking at your kids, are they starting to struggle more in school? Are their grades dropping? Are they getting into trouble? Uh, if all these sorts of things are happening, then I think those would be signs to say, yeah, you know, uh, we've tried on our own to try to get you to open up and to talk and it's not working. So now we think we should try to find somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important when you're thinking about things in that way, not to view it as, you know, there's normal, you know, somebody's reacting in the normal way. They're sad for a few weeks, then they open up, then we talk, then they move on with their life. But because my child is not doing that, they're abnormal. And because they're abnormal, mm-hmm. they've got an illness and that's why I need to get professional help. I would think it more like probably everybody, anybody who really goes through a, a, a loss experience would actually benefit from talking with a person whose job is to talk with people who are going through that. So probably most of us would benefit from professional help in that way, but most of us just never take it. So Hmm. if you have a child who you're thinking like, yeah, I want to get them to talk to somebody, that doesn't actually mean that, you know, I'm in big trouble because my child, you know, is is not able to to process death the way they should be able to. Mm. You know, if you have any concerns at all, there's no harm. You're not going to cause any damage by overcalling it and asking them to talk to somebody when they, you know, turns out they didn't need to. I think in general, the message, you know, given that we're medical professionals, we probably have interacted with death a little bit more than people in a lot of other professions. Yeah. When it comes to people and their grieving processes, it's so individualized. You know, there's no number. And just as we can look at some people and say, well, it's taking them a long time to work through this. You could look at someone else and say, well, it's taking the, they work through it really fast, faster than normal. That can happen too. Yeah. Right. It's just a very individualized thing and it's hard to make any generalizations. So when we see people going through it, whether it's slow or fast, yeah. try to be supportive of it, yeah. you know, either way. And if you feel like they're really flailing and needing help, whether it's at the two month mark or at the two year mark or the 10 year mark, right. Yeah. You know, let, you know, try to, you know, we should try to help them. Yeah, I mean, really, we, one could try not to overcomplicate this and simply say, you know, when you see somebody who actually looks like they're struggling and looks like they need help, then that is the right mm-hmm. time to try to get them help. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, 
it's going to be all the things you'd think of, right? Like all the anyone who's having difficulty with their day-to-day life functions, um, then mm-hmm. you know that person probably you should be reaching out to try to get that person some help. It doesn't mean they'll go to a psychiatrist and get diagnosed with major depression, um, but that also doesn't mean that a psychologist or a therapist couldn't still help them um, mm. to right. be able to function better. Sometimes it's just, like you said, it's just good to talk about your feelings, right? Yeah. And to hear about the process through a different set of eyes. Yeah. Because, you know, we always come at things from our particular angle and all of us as human beings have blind spots. So if we're not connecting with our child or, you know, with our family member about this yeah maybe somebody else will in a way that we don't have the 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 skill or the nuance to do so yeah absolutely circling back a bit to the idea of talking to our kids about about death um i guess i'm still thinking about it in terms of it's probably a good idea to have some of these conversations before it's when you are also dealing with somebody who has who's close to the family who has died you can Mm -hmm. imagine it's probably a lot easier to talk about death um, with your child when you or yourself are not in the process of grieving the person who's died. So if you wait until mm. one of the kid's grandparents dies, for example, uh, you might find yourself not as prepared or, or having a more difficult time mm. than you would be having that conversation beforehand. Mm-hmm. But so, you know, tips for, tips for how to have that conversation. Uh, we touched on the idea of, uh, you know, if you're going to bring religion into it, make sure it's not in the context of you're just springing religion on them when they've never heard the concept of an afterlife before uh, uh, or even the concept of God before. And another bit of advice I would give is to make sure that you're just using language that's sort of age appropriate and keeping it simple. Because hmm. right? sometimes with these conversations, you just feel like, well, I just have to get through the conversation. Once I've said the words that need to be said, good, I'm done. Uh but if you're saying a bunch of stuff that's going to go over the kid's head, uh, it's then you haven't really served the purpose that you're trying to serve. Well, this is an interesting point because I think sometimes, even for us as physicians, when we break bad news to people, this is actually part of our job. Yeah, there is this tendency to like skirt the issue a little bit. Yeah. You know, like a lot of times we don't tell a patient that you're dying, right? We say well, you got maybe six months to two years to live, you know, or something that kind of walks your way around it. And even with, you know, just saying the word dying as opposed to saying they moved on or they're passed on or they're not coming back again. Yeah. (laughs) Like a gangster movie, right? But, but like, I think sometimes just saying it out there, like they died, you know? Yeah. That's the the best way to say it because you're not sugarcoating or going around in some weird way that for a child can be very, very confusing. Yeah, I mean, you're working in my setting where I sometimes am am the person who has to break the news to a family member that somebody has died. There's a whole lines of research on how to do that, like advice on how to do that in the best way possible. And that's one of the bits of advice that we're given, right? Is Mm -hmm. you don't go go to a person and say, you know, I'm sorry to tell you that your family member has passed on or is no longer with us. Because although those things may seem clear to you, that you're like, you know what I'm talking about without having to say the <laughs> D word, uh, that can actually lead to moments of confusion for the family. Uh, right. So you know, we're, we're trained to come out and be very frank that you know this person has died, uh, which doesn't mean that you can't still try to say it in a compassionate or empathetic way, but, but you do have to be clear that, yeah, the person has died. Right. And so yeah, that's, that's an example of, of why you got to try to use clear language for kids. And I think when you're talking about preschoolers and you're trying to make them understand what dead means, uh, 
you can describe it as you know, when somebody is dead, it means that nothing in their body works anymore or does anything anymore. So they cannot, uh, they cannot see anything, they cannot hear anything, they cannot feel anything, um, they can't even think about anything. Uh, and th that's, that's an oversimplification to some degree of what death is, but that's language that, say, a preschooler can understand. Mm -hmm. I asked my kids the other day because I knew we were doing this topic. So I was curious to know what they already think about death right now to, to gauge how well a job I've done on this topic so far. So I asked them, uh, so you guys, uh, what does it mean uh, to be dead? And so one of my kids is saying, well, yeah, it's, uh, this is my seven-year-old. It means that you're not alive anymore. I'm saying, yes, but, you know, elaborate. Uh, what does it mean? What does that mean? If you're not alive anymore and you're dead, what, what actually happens to you? And uh, so I got various answers from various the ki kids. Um, uh, one kid saying, it means that, actually that. She's saying, you know, it means you can't feel anything or smell anything or hear anything or taste anything. <laughs> uh, you, 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 it's just like you're not there. And then one of my other kids is saying, like, it just means that you don't exist anymore. Just like how you, you didn't experience or know anything before you were born, that's what happens after you die. That was my oldest well, kid saying that. That's pretty deep, man. <laughs> yeah, well, the kid who was, who was saying the, uh, the seven-year-old finally got around to her answer after I gave her more time to, to work on it. And she's saying, okay, it's, uh, it's that um, you... You, you, you died means you're not alive anymore and you can't be alive anymore um, and you can only be dead and you can't not be dead anymore and the only way you can exist is in other people's memories. I'm like, mm. okay, yeah, I think I remember saying something about the living on in people's memories. So it sounds like you got a handle on it. But uh, I was sort of thinking afterwards, all their answers were kind of nihilistic, like you cease to exist. <laughs> Nobody's had, had any sort of, you know, then you get to go on to a new life or anything like that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe you need to take it back to Sunday school. <laughs> but you just said this is not the time to do that. Right. So give it a few weeks and then, and then ship them off. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It means that all up until now, I guess I hadn't laid as much groundwork in, uh, in religious <laughs> philosophy. Yeah, you got to talk to your younger brother about uh, get him get him in to do a lecture on the afterlife. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's funny when people talk about living each day like it's your last. Mm -hmm. Right? You're like live each day like it's your last. It's like no, that would actually be terrible to live every day like it was your last. <laughs> One other topic that I kind of put on our list to touch on uh -huh. is as for parents is this whole business of estate planning and wills. Okay, and maybe we can touch on it briefly before we go. Like this topic does come up a lot for parents, especially once you have children, right? Yeah. And you get to middle age and then, you know, things happen. Like, you you know, random accidents happen. People get illnesses. So there's this, there's this push, you know, like, you know, through our schools, through our friends, you always hear about, you know, plan for, plan for that day, you know, get your will in order. Yeah. Just sign, get that thing signed at the lawyer's office. Yeah. I have found it's not an easy thing to do. You know, again, it gets back into that stigma thing that no one, none of us wants to talk about death. Yeah. And none of us wants to sit down with our spouse and plan what's going to happen after we, we go kind of thing. Yeah. At the same time, if you don't do it, the government makes mincemeat of <laughs> your estate and you end up paying a fortune in taxes. Your family's up with nothing, that's for sure. And the money doesn't go where you want it to go. <laughs> right? So it is a very, very bothersome aspect of life this estate planning thing. 
Yeah, it is. It's, you know, in the same way that when the end of the year comes and you're like, oh, I got to do my taxes. And you're like, oh, there's all these things mm-hmm. that I got to work out and get out the receipts and all that kind of stuff. Estate planning is exactly the same, except for the stakes are even higher. Um, and there's not a firm deadline. Uh, right. You know, by the time the deadline passes, you, then you realize it's way too except late. You, you can't do this, Except you have this out, right? If you happen to be the one to go first, <laughs> you don't have to worry about this at all. You're the last person that's to actually worry about it. So I think a lot of people, based on that, just kind of keep pushing, defer this decision until someday later. Uh, not, not for being uncomfortable talking about death or anything like that. Uh, but more from that sort of thing of like, oh gosh, it's sort of so complex. <laughs> it's just work. Yes, yeah, just work. My wife and I definitely dragged our heels on that. And just like, we're always like, yeah, yeah, you know what we got to do? You know what we got to do this weekend is we got to sit down and we got to we gotta plan that stuff. Uh, and then it was always like, yeah, okay, well this weekend we ended yeah. up having to shovel the driveway, but yeah. next weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'm too busy picking the lint out of my fingernails this weekend. Let's do it next week. Yeah. Um, but uh, where, where, where it was that somebody actually really got us to like get into the system of doing it was when we were with our accountant. Uh, we have a pretty like nice accountant guy. And anyway, we were sitting with him doing the year-end stuff because um, he used to, back in this time, he used to actually meet with us every year. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we we're going through stuff, he just kind of was saying like, oh yeah, and so who, like, uh, like who's done your estate planning and stuff? And we're like, yeah, no, we haven't really finished doing that. He's saying like, wait, so, so do you guys have a will drawn up for if something happened to both of you? And we're like, yeah, no, we don't. And then his like eyes bug out and he's like, what? You guys have four kids and you don't have a will. <laughs> and we were like, oh gosh, when you say it like that, yeah, I guess that's a big deal. Are you sure it wasn't that his eyes were bulging into dollar signs? It's like, I'm going to cash out these two, these two suckers. <laughs> well, he doesn't do that stuff himself. He's just the accountant. But he was like, I will give you the number of a guy that you can call that's like a lawyer who does that kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, I guess when you think about it, uh, when you have a more than, well, I guess when you have any kids, it is a bit reckless to not have like a plan for what's going to happen after you die. Well, yes. I mean, specific, specifically if you have money and you have a specific way that you want the money to go to the kids. Well, there's that. Right? But there's also, um, like, let's say you and your spouse die at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, then what actually is happening with those kids? Yeah, a mess is what That's will happen. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Unless you, I mean, planning for it doesn't make it like perfect, but at least then somebody's not surprised to find out that they have to take your kids. Mm-hmm. So yeah, at a certain point, I had to say to my said my sister like, so just so you know, we uh, we put you guys down as the people who would get the kids if uh, <laughs> if something happens to the both of us. And I think ever since then, she's always had kind of been like, you know, wait, you both going on vacation at the same time? Like, are you sure <laughs> like, one shouldn't go? A lot of times I was, this isn't really exactly related to dying, but I was talking to my uncle and he was telling me about, you know, he had opened the business yeah. and it had run for a few years and eventually it got shuttered. It wasn't doing well. Right. Yeah. And y- like you and I, we think, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're running a business when the business ends. You know, you move on to the next business. You don't realize that you actually have like another six months to a year to unwind the business, right? Settle all the accounts, right? Close all the transactions. That stuff's a pain, the amount of work involved, you know, to get like Revenue Canada or the IRS off your case, you know, when this business goes belly up. Yeah. Same thing as a human being, you know, when you go belly up at the end. Taxman comes and you're not going to be there to deal with it. Whoever is the executor of your (laughs) estate 
poor person's going to be in and out of banks and like right. <laughs> legal offices for months if you don't get this thing in order, right? I talk to people who've done that for other people yeah. and they hate it, right? They, like if you don't leave clear instructions about stuff, it's a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even with clear instructions, you're committing some sucker to a whole ton of work when you're gone. Yeah. I mean, that gets into this, this other question of whether you should even you know, assign someone you know to be the executor or should you outsource that for a fee, of course, yeah. to someone at like a financial institution and take that off your plate? Yeah, I mean, hopefully when you're gone, things will work out smoothly. But what I've witnessed in, in many scenarios is that uh, a lot of conflict and strife comes up between the survivors uh, mm. when somebody leaves, especially you know, when a parent leaves and uh, and things have to be divided up. Mm -hmm. you know, even simple stuff like, well, I'm leaving the house to all four of you, so sell it and divide up the money. It's like, yeah, but then maybe one person's got to actually do more work than the other people selling the house. And then do they get more of the money afterwards since they put more work into the sale of the house and all that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So as much as you can do to try to plan that before you go, the more it'll be appreciated by the people you leave behind. But mm -hmm. of course, if you want to take the philosophy like, yeah, that's not going to be my problem. And so what if they're mad at me when I'm gone? <laughs> that's when it will matter the least. That's another approach. Right. Yeah. The, the Chinese philosophy where, you know, we don't ever speak about it. At most, we have one awkward conversation in our entire lifetime about it where we scribble a couple of, you know, incoherent words on a three ring piece of paper. Right. And then that passes for a will when all when it's all said and done. It's, it can be a mess. I've seen this play out many, many times. <laughs> So have, uh, have your kids had to uh, at all experience what it's like to know somebody who died in a way that you had to talk to them about? Uh, they've had a few. They've had a few classmates, parents pass away over the last few years. And, you know, my kids are young, so these their peers are also very young. So that's been kind of it's that's probably been the closest exposure they've had yeah. in the last few years. And it's a challenge because you know even for us you know none of this kind of stuff makes any sense yeah right it's easier to make sense of something when they've lived a they've lived a grand old life and you say well they couldn't have gotten much more out of life yeah right but these sudden tragic you know deaths of people who have young children or it's completely unexpected these things are very very difficult even for us as adults to process yeah right so it is not easy my kids, uh, I think their frame of reference for experiencing the loss of somebody is my father's father. So my grandfather, their great grandfather, who, uh, who lived in England, uh, about a year before he died, we kind of knew that he wasn't going to last forever. Um, and so we decided we were going to, even though the kids were kind of small, some of them, we decided, you know what, we're going to take a trip, all four of us on the plane, go to England, see him. Uh, so that we can, so that they can all know their great grandfather to some degree, or at least mm -hmm. have pictures of them meeting him uh, to look at later before he before he dies. Um, and so the trip worked out; they got to see him. It was great. Um, and then, yeah, not long afterwards, I think within a year, he did die. And uh, so often, when we talk about death or when death comes up, they'll sort of say that they'll say like, "Oh, like mm -hmm. like great granddad," um, mm -hmm. or they'll say things like. Uh, Oh yeah, great granddad. Uh, he died, right? You know, stuff like that. Like from the youngest will come up. Um, but it was kind of a great opportunity to talk about, like, yeah, you know, and uh, 
I'm sad that he's gone my because I love my grandfather, but you know, here's how I process it. He lives in my like memories and uh, that was why it was so important for me to have you guys get to meet him because now you get to have some memories and we have some pictures. And so that uh, that's, you know, that's how we remember him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, so I think that'll make it e- easier uh, when we have to go through that with somebody who they know like a little bit closer than someone who they met once and liked. Were all your kids alive when you went to visit or was uh, yeah, all the kids were alive? The youngest one was too young to really remember it, though. I think she wasn't even right. two yet when uh, when we went to England. Right. Um, so uh, she can look at pictures and see that she was sitting on his lap and stuff like that with all the other right. kids. But the other ones talk about him. Uh, and you can tell even the second youngest, who was probably about three or something when we went, she still has a memory of the guy. I mean, they are blessed to be know their great grandparents. I mean, that is a special thing. Yeah, that's not everybody gets to do that. The guy was 93 when he died. And in fact, he used to always talk when I would call him or he would call me stuff about how like, oh, I'm not going to be here much longer. Um, (laughs) And when I said to him, like, you know, granddad, we've decided we're coming to see you this summer. He was like, all right, I'll try to hold on till then, then. And I think there was a certain (laughs) element of him holding on till then. (laughs) Yeah, my my kids, their great grandmother is alive still. They've met her a few times, but now she's stuck in Taiwan and can't and can't we can't see her obviously right now but but it is a nice thing for them to be able to connect these generations together hopefully we all get to that someday yeah no kidding if i can meet my <laughs> great-grandchildren or my great-great-grandchildren yes. that way we can delay talking about death a little bit longer <laughs> that's right uh, at least one thing's for sure is the podcast will still be going strong <laughs> yeah, we'll have so many old episodes that haven't been edited yet. They'll be going on long after we pass. <laughs> Welcome to the Medical Great Great Granddad's podcast. <laughs> Where we talk about all the things we talked about before because we don't really remember the time talking about them the first time. <laughs> all right. One of these days, when if we get around to the point where we start talking about, we do an episode on how to talk to your great great grandchildren about dying. That'll be the episode. <laughs> That'll be awesome. <laughs> when we're so old that we're talking about last week's topic all over again <laughs> as if it were new to us <laughs> like i'm not sure if i told this story ah uh, yes Stu, you told it last week you told it 20 minutes ago i <laughs> uh, can't wait awesome well on that note everybody have a good week <laughs> see you next week folks <laughs>